Today I want to talk about, and go ahead and bring me down some more, I'm still a little bit hot. I'm going to talk about living in an evil world, and even more specifically, how to live, right? How to live in an evil world. In describing the world that we live in, the Apostle John states, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Think about that for a moment. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This clarifies that we live in an evil world that is deceived, seduced, and in bondage to an evil being. He is the serpent of old, the shining one, who has come to deceive, seduce, and bring everyone into bondage, misery, and the realm of death. Considering this, how should we live within this realm? How do we live within this world? Shall we in fear retreat and hide from the world we live in? Or should we acquiesce and blend in with the world to escape its hatred, its anger, and its violence? Or is there a third option? Is it possible to be in the world, but not of the world? Today we'll look into what it means to be in the world, an evil world, and yet separate from it. So we're going to begin in John 16, the world that we live in. This is the prayer of Jesus on behalf of his followers. He is interceding. We see him in his role as intercessor. And he's interceding before the Father on our behalf, praying to the Father. And he's saying this in verse 28. We'll pick it up in the middle of his prayer. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Interesting. I'm leaving the world again. There's two worlds that we have here. There's two worlds. This one and the world of the Father. Or put another way, there's two kingdoms. An earthly kingdom and an heavenly kingdom. Two realms. The natural realm and the spiritual or heavenly realm. In Jesus, we live in this world And we're also a part of another world, right? We represent the world of our Father. We represent the kingdom of heaven. And so we're, in a sense, you know, in two realms at the same time. We have like dual citizenship, you know, in this world and in the heavenly world. So how do we negotiate that? How do we live in light of that? Verse 33. These things I've spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. This idea of tribulation expresses meanings like distress or afflictions, fiery trials that come to test us, to test our faith, if you will. I always tell young people, If life is great, don't worry, live a little longer, right? Life is full of twists and turns. Life is full of challenges, disappointments, trials, and tribulations. That's the world that we live in. Jesus said, don't be discouraged, though. Be of great courage. Why? 
Jesus says, I've already overcome the world. I know, I know how to navigate through this hostile environment. I've done it. Follow me. Follow me. If Jesus overcame the world, so shall we. If Jesus walked out of the grave, so shall we. Whatever you're going through, stamp it temporary. Whatever hardship, whatever disappointment, distress, mental anguish, whatever it is, stamp it temporary. It will come to pass. It will be over and you will move forward. This is the promise of God in Messiah. See, the glory of God deep inside of us, <coughs> excuse me, deep inside of us is going to see us through. We're going to overcome because we've been destined to overcome. Our job is to trust in the Lord and follow him. He will see us through. John 17, verse 13 through 21. But now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. Jesus is concerned about us. He's concerned about you. He knows the world that we live in. He knows all the hardships. And he's praying to the Father. And he's saying, Father, I want to make sure they experience joy in the midst of this hostile, disappointing world. That they would have some joy and peace in their journey. 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So, of course, Jesus was in the world, and yet he says, but he's not of the world. He's moving about like we do today, and yet claiming that he's not part of it. Isn't it interesting that you can be in something and not a part of it? And this is exactly what he's trying to communicate. The world hated him. The world will hate you too. If you're a follower of Jesus, it will turn on you every chance it gets. It hated him and it hates you. See, the world mandates conformity to its ways and its values. It demands affirmation, if you will, of its abominations. And you better give that affirmation or you're going to experience the persecution of this beast system. It requires you to bow and worship at its altar of political and religious correctness. You must comply or be targeted for its hate crimes. Isn't that true? You must comply. If you don't, you're the target. Think for a moment of all the controversy surrounding the gain-of-function virus, the experimental vaccine, the shutdowns, the ensuing censorship, the threats to your livelihoods, that your livelihood would be taken away from you if you did not comply. Unbelievable hardships. Just bizarre that we would even have that in the land of the free and the home of the brave. 
how that even happened, everyone's still scratching their heads. I haven't let you listen much to Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. I think he's an authentic prophet today, small p, not capital P. But he is a prophetic voice in the body of Christ today. And he's been talking about what's been coming. And he's been nailing it for about two decades now. And I'll tell you what, what according to him, and I think he's spot on, you know, we're going to see some pretty uh, serious judgments that are a, a full step up above what just hit us in 2020. And we're still feeling all of that, of course, 2021, 2022, all of the uh, uh, shakings that have taken place will pale in significance because we as a nation did not repent. We did not return to our God. We, we, we dug our heels in and we said, no, we're going to go more fully into the things of this world. And now we are poised for such a horrific series of judgments. Now, I, I want you to know uh, that you don't have to fear those judgments. They're coming from our Father in heaven. They're against the world and those who have embraced the world. For those who are in Messiah, he promises protection. He oversees this. He says to the righteous, it will be well with your soul. But say to the wicked, woe unto you, for judgment has come. So I believe we need to draw close to the Lord. Get serious about our walk with him. Make sure that we are living with a clear conscience before him. That we're not flirting with sin. And when I say sin, sin as he defines it, right? Because if you're in sin, you've already justified it. What, what, what the heart wants, the mind always justifies so if you think about it, when you're in sin, you've always had a way to justify that and, until the Lord finally, you know, puts enough pressure on you and you're able to say, yeah, I guess that is sin. And when you agree with God and confess your sin and repent, right, he brings you back in. But if you don't, even as a, as a son of God, a daughter of God, you'll experience the judgments that are intended for the world and not for you. So now is not the time to be flirting with sin. People of God, draw close to God. Get, get a clear conscience. Make sure you are walking in his ways according to what he has shown you in and through his word. The worst is yet to come. But his protection is granted to those who are walking in his ways. So know well what Jesus said. Listen to this. What the world intends to do to you, he's, or it has already done to him. In Revelation 18, verse 24, it talks about the end time Babylon, the Babylon of Babylons. And it says concerning Babylon, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who had been slain on the earth. This whole system in the end turns and attacks the people of God. We talked about this in earlier sermons. It gathers the saints, the holy ones, the believers, and it also attacks Jerusalem, the holy city, so that both Jews and Christians are the target of Babylon at the end of the age. This world is a wicked, wicked world, and you cannot be a friend of the world and a friend of God. They are at a war. There is no love affair between them. To love the world is to commit adultery spiritually with God. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. 
John 17, 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. No rapture for the believer. Sorry. There's no escapism here for us. Jesus didn't say, oh, Father, lift them out. Rapture them out. No, he said, no, 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 no. Father, don't take them out of the world. Leave them in the world. Leave them in this hostile, bizarre, lost world. But protect them from the evil. Leave them here. Why? Why would he say that? Because Jesus is reclaiming creation. Jesus is redeeming creation. He's come back to take it back for the glory of God. And part of his strategy in taking the world back is you and me. He says, leave them in. And then he commissions us to share his love. He commissions us to share the gospel, the good news that through faith in him, we can enter into the other world, the kingdom of heaven, and participate in the rule and reign of God. And so he's left us here to be his representatives. He's saying, don't take them out, leave them here. And then he empowers us to represent him to do that work of reclaiming and redeeming creation. It's interesting. He's going to recreate the earth and the heavens and then give it to us. We inherit it in the end. But in the meantime, we have to learn how to live here in this world. We have to learn how to negotiate and find a path and navigate you know, our, 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 our journeys through him in this world. And we have everything that we need and the Father's protection on top of it. So we can do this. John 17, 16. They, speaking of us, they are not of the world. You are not of the world. It's speaking of the world's values, the world's mindset, the world's attitude. You know, you're not of that. That's not who you are. You're from another realm. You're from another kingdom. Represent the other world while you're in this world. In some ways, we're, 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 we're uh, I don't know, um, invaders, taking back the land that we lost through our sin and shame. And we are here participating with the Lord in this great uh, redemption that he has planned from eternity past. So how are we to live in this world. That's the big issue for us today. When we become born again, we become part of another world. Left in this world, but representing the other world. When the Bible talks about being born again, it's referencing the kingdom of, he of heaven. It's talking about being born from above. It's talking about being born spiritually. Remember, there's two realms a natural realm and a spiritual realm. We're born in the natural realm. When we give our hearts to Jesus, we get born again. We become a new person, a new creation, a spiritual being, participating in a spiritual realm. That's what it means to be born again. I want to I read this to you a little bit um, just so you can kind of catch the flow of what Jesus is saying because really when you begin to identify with who you truly are, and what kingdom you're, you're a part of and what it means to represent him, man, it changes how we live our lives. John 3, 1 through 7. 
Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Nicodemus is thinking on the natural level. He's thinking about this realm. He's saying, how can I be born twice, right? Jesus answered and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Without being born again, you are locked in this dark, lost world. There's no way out. There's no exit. The only way out is to be born again, born from above, to be recreated spiritually in order to escape and participate in the realm of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. You know, it's... it's it's a shocking statement when you think about it. You must be born again. If you're not born again, you will not see heaven. You know, part, part of my job description is, is ceremony. One of those ceremonies I do is funerals. I've done a number of funerals over my last, you know, 30 years in ministry. And I've been to a lot of funerals. Everyone goes to heaven. I've never been at a funeral where some, where the person who's deceased is not in heaven. Is that true? Has anyone been to a funeral where, you know, uh, big question mark over where this person is? Now, they're always in heaven, always and forever in heaven. And I'm thinking, really? Gosh, is everyone born again? Because the last time I read, it's only a few that make it. The multitudes follow the path that's wide that leads to hell right? To death and destruction. Yeah. So I think to myself, it's important that we understand we must be born again or we will not see heaven. If you're not born again, you need to deal with that. Life's too short to play that game. Eternity's too long to play that game. You need to surrender your life. It's so easy. It's so easy to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I confess I'm a sinner. I deserve, I deserve, you know, death. But I put my trust in you and your love for me. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. So easy. That, that is a very simple prayer. And if your heart's sincere and you pray that, you'll get born again. As you're praying that, the Spirit will cause you to be born again. And then you will be a participant in a heavenly kingdom. And upon your death, you enter into that realm, heaven itself, into the presence of God. And I'll be more than happy to do your funeral. Now we'll do a happy dance at your funeral. Your homecoming will be amazing in every way. But if you, if you are bent on this world and embracing this world and living life on your own terms, what a rude awakening that will be in your death. You'll be awakened to damnation to tormenting spirits and ultimately not only the rejection of the father in front of all of humanity but destruction in the lake of fire 
you must be born again. John 3, 16 through 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world. As messed up as it is, as fallen as it is, as deceived as it is, he loves the world. He's not angry at sinners. He loves them. You were once a sinner. You're still a sinner. God still loves you. His plan is to forgive and redeem you if you're willing. If you are willing. He so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the world or the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord no longer takes into account. It's a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing, right? He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. See, we're born sinners, already judged, already condemned, destined for hell. That's what we are, condemned. We're, 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 on, we're on death row living our lives. And the end of that is the lake of fire, the second death. Yeah, he's saying, but if you believe in Jesus, you will be forgiven. If you don't, well, nothing changes. You're already condemned. You're already on the pathway to hell itself. Yeah, the good news is get off that highway. Get onto the highway of heaven, man. Put your faith in Jesus and get on a new highway. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Verses 31 through 36. He who comes from above is above all. Who came from above? He's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he who comes from above is above all. Jesus is speaking of himself. He's saying, I've, I've come from the heavenly realm. I'm above all of this. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard, of that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He, he who has received his testimony has set his seal to this, that God is true, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We must be born again. If you're not born again, and you want to get born again, talk to me or a staff member. We'd love to lead you in a simple prayer and get that taken care of and get your life turned around. John 17, 17, 
Jesus goes on. He's, he's praying to the Father. He says to the Father, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them. That means set them apart. Make them different. And how? Via the truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The word of God is truth. It's the source of all truth. It's the fountainhead of that which is true. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's only the truth. And we either line up and embrace it or we don't. But it's outside of us. It's objective. It's not subjective. It's based and rooted in the word of God. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The world loves falsehoods. The world loves lies. It's full of deception. That's its trade. It's all about perversion. It always takes what God says is true and changes it a little bit. Just enough to get it off track. But over a period of time, the distance grows and grows and grows until it's obvious to all that there is no connection between what God is saying and what the world is saying. Think about this for a moment. We tampered with the truth starting in around the second century. And we chose the Sabbath. And we began there. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Do you know that the vast majority of all scholars, both Jewish and Christian, 99.9% of all the scholars throughout all you know, these centuries, since the first century, they all agree that the Sabbath is Saturday, from Friday sunset to Saturday Sunday uh, sunset. They all agree to that. There is no disagreement there that's the sabbath sunday is not the sabbath i don't know what people always say well you know sunday is the christian sabbath no actually no one believes that sunday is the first day of the week sabbath is the seventh day of the week okay all we're talking about is can you expand the definition of the sabbath to include sunday and that's what happened they reinterpret that and they expand the the definition of the Sabbath to include Sunday. They, they moved the principles of the Shabbat over to Sunday for the Christians. Yeah. It doesn't say remember the Sabbath to change it to Sunday. They tweaked the definition and expanded it. And look at the door they opened. They opened Pandora's box. Because once you can redefine truth, where does it end? Right? If I can expand the definition of the Sabbath to include Sunday, can I expand the definition of marriage to also include monogamous same-sex couples? I'm not doing away with the definition of marriage. I'm just expanding it so it includes monogamous same-sex marriages. And can I not also expand the definition of family as well and what about gender and now you can see what's happening you get to redefine everything and in the end it all gets changed that's what the word perverted means to change 
it all gets changed and twisted and turned upside down to where in the end we are calling evil good and good evil. I say we should go back to the Sabbath, get that one straightened out, and then work on the following. Get it all back in alignment with the truth. The world, though, it loves its falsehoods. It's all about perversion, deception. It's all about seduction. It's all about subjugation. It demands that everyone affirms and celebrates its values. Those of us who believe, what do we get? We get that which is real, that which is true, that which is wholesome, that which is good. These truths and their associated blessings come directly from the Word of God. God says, come back to the ancient paths, ancient paths, code for the Torah, my ways, my instructions. Instructions about what? About who you are, your sexuality, about marriage, about family, about raising kids, about business, about governing in your civil realms. It's a big, God gives us instructions on how to live in every aspect of our lives. He says, come back to the ancient paths. Therein lies the blessing. Come back to my ways and you'll experience blessing rather than the misery and the death of this cruel world that we live in. Our maxim in the harvest, embrace truth, then live truth, and then share truth. I, I, think, I think that's so important. It's just like, that's kind of the Ezra uh, uh, paradigm where you study in order to do in order to teach others. Yep. And, and, and the doing is always essential before you do anything else. You want, you want to embrace the truth and then walk in it and then share it with others. John 17, 18, he goes on to pray. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Father, you sent me in here to retake what the enemy has stolen, to redeem to take back creation, to lay claim on the nations once again and bring them back into relationship with Israel. Just as you sent me, I also have sent them in the world. See, we're doing the works of Jesus now. That's what we've been given, to continue to do what he started. This is the Great Commission. He's given us authority over all principalities, over all evil, over every high place of the enemy. We have authority over the powers of this world. If we could just understand who we are, if we could realize the power that we have, the authority that we have, and how to exercise it, oh, we could, we could, we could do so much. And you know what? We're doing a pretty good job. I just think you know we need to really press into this and really learn to exercise this in our spheres of influence, in, 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 in our personal lives. And together, in doing that, we advance the kingdom of Jesus on this in, in this world, on this planet. John 17, 19, For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves may be sanctified in the truth. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's a belief 
that leads us to a place of following him, of living like he lived, of embracing the Torah as a way of life. I think of Daniel. Remember Daniel and, and his three Hebrew friends? Yeah, they end up in a really bad place because God sends in an invading army that ransacks Jerusalem and basically overtakes them. And now they're serving this occupying foreign pagan king. And they're brought in, and the king says, educate them, feed them, feed them the finest foods, make sure they exercise a lot. I want them to represent my kingdom. And Daniel, from the word go, says, I'm resolved in my heart. I will not defile myself with the king's royal food. You know, I don't think Daniel understood that you don't tell the conquering king, I don't want to eat your junk food. You know? That's the royal, that, the, it's the best out there, right? No, it'll defile me. You know, the king will kill you for that. The king will kill you for that. But Daniel understands there's a king above him who sent him in the first place. That God's the one that sent this pagan king. And that Daniel's responsibility is to the king of heaven. So he's going to make a stand. He's going to say, you know what? Diet's important. Hello, diet is important sanctification, holiness has to do with diet also. And Daniel says, I'm not going to compromise here. And God, of course, gives him favor. It's a test of his faith. And they work out a deal. It's amazing. Anyone else would have been dead. But not Daniel, who has a relationship with the king. And because the king is navigating everything, he makes a way for Daniel. We, we, can, we can live according to God's ways, in this world, and be successful. We don't have to run and hide. We can come out and actually live in this realm and have the favor of God and, like Daniel, be successful and prosperous in Babylon. Okay, so I'm out of time, so let me just scoot down to the end here. In closing, John 17, 20 through 21, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, us, 2023, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are one. I'm sorry, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. A compassionate and grace-filled unity in Messiah will speak volumes to the lost around us. No lone rangers, right? God is calling us to unite in him. I want to call everyone to join a Bible-believing elder-led congregation and foster this meaningful unity that we have in Jesus. America's falling all around us. Believers in Jesus, regardless of denominational backgrounds, should unite in him and who he is and show the world that the kingdom of God is real, the love of God is real, the salvation of God is real, that there's a place, a realm of peace and joy that's being offered to them. They'll listen to our testimonies. They'll listen to our stories. And some of them will enter into the kingdom through faith in Jesus. This is our mandate. This is what we're called to do. So I encourage you, dwell on this. Meditate. When you get up in the morning and look yourself in the mirror, tell yourself who you are. 
a royal, a child of the king, who has the authority and power of the kingdom standing behind you to be a witness for Jesus and to lead others into this kingdom. Shabbat Shalom.